going on, but that's not um, abnormal, Um, but we'll just roll along with it. It is great to see you, and it's good to be in the house of the Lord, and I'm just going to tell you right now, um, I'm expecting great things from the Lord because it has been a journey, a battle of technology and just about everything else to get to this point, um, to where we are. So welcome. It is good to see you. If I say something that is not correct, I'll blame it on the fact that I do not have a bulletin in front of me. 
But let me just start off by telling you, I don't know if you saw it in the bulletin, but we actually exceeded our goal for the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. We collected $3,503. So it was a photo finish, but we did exceed our goal, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited that we can join together in, in worship, and even though it's been raindrops and raindrops and raindrops, that God has a plan and a purpose in it, and it does not... Um, dampen our spirits or our worship um, together. If you're visiting here this morning, it is good to see you. Um, If you are here for the the first time, we are glad. Thank you, Marcy. Too bad Marcy didn't draw a picture in there. It might have. Cool. Now I have a bulletin in front of me. I am armed and and dangerous. So if you're visiting, we are glad you're here. In the bulletin that maybe you picked up and were able to hold on to, um, there are connect cards, which are great way to communicate with us. If you have information, prayer requests, questions, just jot it down on this, and there's a box in the back where we collect offering. Just place it in there um, sometime during the service um, or as you're leaving, and we'll answer those as we can. Just always as a reminder, Wednesdays is a great time to come to church. Um, 11 o'clock, it's, a, it's, our new, it's our 11 o'clock Bible study for, we say adults, but anybody that's able to come. Um, we study the Bible together, we pray, and then the best part after that, we have lunch. And so we invite you to come and join us. It's a great time of studying God's Word and fellowship. And then also on Sunday evenings at 6.30, just invite you to join us for prayer. I mean, it says there in the bulletin that prayer changes things. And, and that really is the reason that, that I pray, is I believe God moves when, when we pray. And God works in the faithfulness of of those that, that pray to do great things. I don't understand why he does it, but I'm so glad that he does. And we are earnest in our prayers to see God bring transformation, renewal, and revival in Johnson County and in our own hearts. And so that's Wednesdays. And then also, right after our service today, I'm very excited about this. Um, you know, it, Samara and I were talking about on the way up here, it's good to see people's faces. Um, so, you know, if you forgot what I look like, you might kind of... You know, remember that, or, or if you forget what somebody looks like, just ask them to hold their hand up in front of their, their face. But now, you know, here we are. We're, for the most part, maskless, and today we're going to enjoy a, a fellowship meal um, together. We're going to have some, some food. We have um, chicken that we're going to enjoy, a fried chicken, baked chicken. We have sides that you provided. We're going to sit down. We're going to enjoy a meal together, give you an opportunity to share um, things that have been important to you during the past year or so, both both on the, the challenging side and both on the praising God's side and and just hopefully enjoy some good fellowship. And so you're invited. If you didn't bring something, don't worry about it. Um, You can have my portion and I'm sure some other men will step up and give you theirs as well. So uh, no, there's plenty for everybody. But I want to just tell you today that I'm excited because we are going to talk about having a faith in our lives that is active, a faith that actually does something. And I want us to read this morning before we pray from Ephesians chapter 2. Just to see how Paul describes the greatness of this gift that he gives you and I of salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. And think about yourselves as we're reading this. And you may even want to insert your name if you're a follower of Jesus. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love 
which with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one can boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Will you join me as we pray today? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privilege to gather together in your name. Thank you for the joy of gathering for the joy of the fellowship of the saints, of smiling faces of brothers and sisters. I thank you that we gather together as people from different backgrounds, from different places, people from that are young, people that are older, but we gather together in one name, and that's the name of Jesus. And we thank you that you are in this place. We welcome the presence of your Spirit to move in our hearts to move in this service, Lord, that you would change us and transform us. And as we sang earlier, God, we are expecting you to do great things. So God, help us to not give up hope. Help us to lean on you in all situations, to never forget the price that you paid for our salvation. And Lord, help us today as we sing songs, as we read scripture, as we listen, as we learn, as we worship, to see you high and lifted up. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the privilege of worship, for the gift of your son, Jesus, for the privilege we have to give honor back to you in praise, through the privilege we have to show you our our love and our affection through our obedience, and that we can acknowledge your generosity toward us through our giving. Oh, Oh, Lord, help us today to worship you in a way that pleases you and help us to walk out that door changed and transformed. We love you so much, Jesus. We give you praise and thanks in your name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us this morning? Standing on the promises of Christ my King Through eternal ages let His praises ring Oh, 
You have given us freedom. You have given us freedom. 
dark and formless world your life was born. Dark and hopeless world, your son is born. Made the world and saw that it was good. You sent your only son for you are good. What a
Thank you. You may be seated. You know, 2020 was a crazy year for a lot of people, but especially for the high school graduates. They went through a crazy time of, are we going to have graduation? Can we have it in person? And some of the school districts, you know, lined up and had graduations at places like AT&T Stadium and the, the new Rangers ballpark. And some people just did it in outdoor stadiums. And, you know, last year, you know, many, as of years before, Graduates launched out into, into college or into the workplace and, and started their, their lives thinking that, you know, wow, I finished 12 years of school and what's next? Well, they, some maybe thought it was going to get easier, but, you know, it probably got a little bit more difficult. It got a little more challenging. And we're going to take time this morning to, um, to recognize our high school graduates um, from, from Cross Timber to take opportunity to pray over them and just to to just pledge our, our prayers and our support in the coming, coming days as we are excited about what God has in store for them. And so we have three here this morning, and I told them that I wouldn't expect great things except Reagan is going to give a 10 to 15 minute speech in just a moment. So, um, no, really, that's not true. Um, her parents filled my mind with that information, but that's not the truth. But we have, um, we have Anna Hoyler. So Anna, stand up. We have Reagan McIntyre. And we have Jacob Warnett. Jacob, why don't you come on up? And these are our three that are here this morning. Come on up this way. Y'all, come on. It won't be terribly embarrassing. And um, just on behalf of the church, we have just a little something for y'all just to just to show our appreciation and hopefully to be a, a blessing to you. Um, I need to make sure I get the right one because Jacob, two of them are kind of girly. And, um, and I don't want to, that would embarrass you. So I don't want to do that. And that, this one is yours. So um, that's just on behalf of the church, just to say, you know, we, we love you. We're excited about your, your future. And so I want to invite Deborah up, your Sunday school teacher. And Deborah is going to pray for you. We want to pray for you. And so we just invite you as you're seated there just to pray um, where you're seated. Just grab a microphone and we'll... She found one, so... Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for these that are here and those that couldn't be here. And I just ask you to just cover them with your blood and just bless them, strengthen them in the inner man that Christ may dwell in their hearts by faith. I thank you that, Lord, whatever changes come ahead for them, that they will never walk alone, that your presence will always guide them. And as often as they turn their eyes up to you and look above every deadline and every test and every trouble and every insecurity when they lift their eyes up they'll find you if they seek you with all their heart and so lord we trust you to lead them and guide them we trust you to comfort them and to be their direction in life we praise you and thank you for them they're a blessing to us they're a blessing to me personally i've watched some of them grow up here and i just thank you for the opportunity to be their teacher and for the opportunity to watch them grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. And I pray that you would continue, Lord, to walk with them in the days to come and to bless them. <clears throat> we thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Y'all can be, be seated. 
a bit of self-disclosure. The, the important reason I needed my bulletin was is I did not want to forget Jacob's last name. Um, I had written it down. I thought, I'm going to study it. I'm going to make sure I remember it. And then I, don't, I haven't had the privilege of being around Jacob long enough to watch him grow up and remember his last name. And, and, and so I wanted to make sure that I, that I didn't. So I did say your name correctly, right, Jacob? Wonderful. Yeah. You're, I, I probably could have done better, but I did not. Um, you know, I was thinking about graduation and how that really would, would tie into what we're going to talk about this morning. And Anna and Jacob and, and Reagan, this sermon is not specifically directed toward you. However, it is highly applicable to your current life situation, but it's also it also applies to each and every one of us. I remember very distinctly, um, and while I'm remembering, turn to James chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 14 in just a minute. I remember very distinctly that my senior year of high school, I had my, had my life planned out. Um, I, I was going to be an aerospace engineer. Um, as I halfway paid attention in physics and calculus, I designed my own logo um, I had it. It was going to be Gillum Aerospace. I was so excited. I, you know, I, I thought, man, I'm going to be working for NASA. I'm going to be launching rockets or something. It's going to be way cool until I got to college. And I realized that um, to launch a rocket, that physics is important, chemistry is important, and the grades that you make on those things are important. And I learned very quickly that there was a serious difference between thinking about being an aerospace engineer and having my, you know, own rocket company and actually being one. And I say that because what we're going to talk about today is there's a very serious difference between saying you're a Christian, saying you follow Jesus and actually living a life, walking a walk that demonstrates that. And what I want to propose to you today is just simply this true faith in Jesus will display itself through Loving obedience. True faith in Jesus will display itself through loving obedience. There is going to be something evident in the life of someone who is called by the name of Jesus that people say, okay, that person walks with Jesus. Now, this is not just a 2021 problem. This was a first century problem. When James was writing his letter somewhere between in the late 70s or 90s of the first century, he wrote these words to the people, to these believers, these Jewish believers that were coming to faith and needed to learn how to walk in life. And he starts in verse 14 of chapter 2, and let's read this together. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace. Be warmed and filled without giving him the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? 
You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We join me in praying. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that we can study your word together. We thank you that in the moments we have that you will teach us by the pages of your word and by the power of your spirit. Open up our hearts. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to take what we hear and apply it to our lives. Lord, help us to see that faith in you starts with faith. It's birthed in us by faith. And it's shown by the fruit of our works through our obedience. God, help us. Teach us this morning. And we trust you will. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So true faith in Jesus will display itself through loving obedience. So I have three points this morning just to kind of break down what James is telling us about the idea that true faith works. And the first thing is simply this. True faith is more than talk. True faith is more than talk. And when I say true faith, I'm talking about a faith that pleases God, a faith that brings salvation, and a faith that is shown through actions, or the word here is work. Now, the question James is asking in the questions that he begins in verse 14 is, what good is faith without works? And we're going to come to the conclusion that the answer to that is it's not worth anything. Listen to what he says in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Again, he uses that word brothers, including brothers and sisters. If your translation says that, that is that is a correct way to say it. He's talking to the fellowship of God's people gathered together. And he's telling them that saying you have faith and actually possessing faith are two very different things. And he uses a key word that we need to understand. And you hear that word works. Now, if you are... A good Baptist, you hear that word works and your, your ears kind of perk up and you think, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're saved by faith, not by works. That's true. But we're going to talk about works and I want you to think about the idea that these are, these are deeds done in love and obedience that prove our faith, that they're actually the fruit of faith. And you can tell and you can look at the words of Jesus to know this, you can tell if a person has true faith or not by the way they live, by the fruit of their life, by their works. And so James is very clear in his assertion that faith without works is worthless and it's, it's dead. And he goes on to say that that is not a faith that saves. He asks another rhetorical question. Can that kind of faith save him? The answer again is no. Now, it's interesting. He says that kind of faith to distinguish between the faith. When you're reading through the New Testament and you see, you know, words like the faith, it's always talking about 
the faith that saves, faith that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here he's talking about that kind of faith. Some of you probably know that kind of people. You know, there's, it's just, they're not like you, they're different. And so he's saying this is a different kind of faith, which really down deep is not faith at all. Because it's based on faulty ideas and faulty premises. And the main idea is that basically I can just claim that I follow God and I know Jesus and not do anything else and I'm good. But the truth is that our faith will show itself out in what we do. Now, you may or may not agree with this, but in our day and age, it's easy to say you believe in something and never really do anything to prove it or to be able to even prove it. You see it in these countless conspiracy theories that are presented. I mean, people just make out these outlandish tales about why something happened, what somebody's motive is, or what's really the story that we're somehow missing. Or we read those tales of fake news, or the term that came about in the last year, few years, there's, you know, you, we just use alternative facts, as if there are alternative facts, just based on the idea that, you know, there could be something other than true and false, that there's some kind of gray line in the middle. And many people will fiercely defend these conspiracy theories. No, it's true. It's true. I read it on the Internet. I saw it here or this person said this. But there's no evidence. There's no way to prove it. And they just simply talk louder, post more and repeat it over and over again, expecting that folks will believe us. And many people treat their faith just like that. There's absolutely no evidence. There's no change of life. There's no transformation. But they keep proclaiming, no, no, I'm, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. But if there's no deeds to go with faith, then there's no proof to go with the profession that you have made. And what you may think is true faith is not true faith. And James says it's not, it's not going to save you. It's really not of any benefit at all. And he's building upon the idea that he brought first in chapter 1 about the idea of hearing and doing. How pointless it would be for, remember that, a man to go and look in a mirror and to see exactly what he looks like and then do nothing about it? You know, you've got a spaghetti stain right here. You need to wash that off. Or you've got toothpaste on the corners of your mouth. Or you need to shave. And then not doing anything about it. The same thing, people that hear God's word, that perfect law of liberty when they look into it it shows us who we are and when we choose to not respond to it then we don't have true faith you see false faith can can pile up all kinds of of claims word on top of word i believe this i believe this i'll do this i'll do this but it will never do anything and he says that kind of faith is is not good it won't save you And then he goes on to give us an illustration to help us understand it. James is very good about giving us very practical ways to look at things. And he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. Now, it's important that he says brother or sister because he is referring to someone in their fellowship of believers. So read into that. Someone in our congregation has a need. So it's not just some random person from the community, not that they don't matter. It's not, you know, a need that we hear about in another country, but it's somebody, you know, right here in our church family. And they have a need for 
food and clothes. And the, the words there indicate that they don't even have enough food to last through this day. And they, it's not saying that they're, they're naked, but it means that they have, have poor clothing. They are in need of some new clothes. And the response in this example is empty words. Just lip service, but no action. Listen to verse 16. And one of you says, so there's a need, and one of you says, go in peace, be warm and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So instead of stepping up and meeting the need, basically, they say, see ya. Maybe somebody else will take care of your need. Because that word, go in peace, is the classic Hebrew departure. It's the way that you say goodbye. Go in peace. And the idea of being warmed and being filled has no indication that the person that says it has any desire to do anything. But it's like, good luck. Maybe somebody out there will take care of your need. What good is that? He says it's not good at all. Because what happens? The need is not met. The person with the need is dismissed, is not valuable. And the person who claims to have faith really doesn't have faith at all. And when these types of things happen, the world around us just kind of shakes their their head. You know, as Christians, we, we say a lot of things. We profess a lot of powerful truth. And that sounds so genuine from people. And it can be very persuasive. But when push comes to shove, if what we claim and what we do don't match, then there is a serious problem. Faith is not all talk and no action. You can tell someone, I love you, bless you, all you want, but it means nothing if there's nothing behind it, if there's nothing, something that backs it up. In its conclusion in verse 17, listen to this, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now it's important here to take a second to understand what James is telling us and what James is not telling us. So let's look at the not first. What James is not saying is that salvation is in any way based upon works. It's not, he's not saying that we can earn salvation by doing good things. What he is saying is that salvation is by faith, and we'll get to that when we look at the example of Abraham in a minute, and works will be the evidence that the faith is real. I read Ephesians earlier as we began, and in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, Paul makes it very clear, salvation, you, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So it's totally a grace gift from God. It's based on our faith and not on our works. And so you may have heard the phrase, we are saved by grace through faith, that we receive God's free gift. It can be received by anyone who places their faith in Christ. And that kind of faith is true faith. It's saving faith. And it will prove itself through the actions of a person. And so it works this way. Faith comes first. Good works follow. And it can never be the other way around. 
Bible's clear. We can't ever obtain salvation by something we can do. It's God's gift. It's a sovereign work of God. It's a mystery. It's beautiful. It's His love. It's His holiness. It's His righteousness. It's His goodness all combined together. And we just simply respond in faith. We put our trust in in Jesus. And these good works, our love, our obedience, that's the evidence that proves it to be true. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commands. Saying that commands are the proof, you know, obedience is the proof of love, but also his love lovingly leads us toward obedience. If you've walked with Jesus any amount of time, you've seen that, that, that Jesus lovingly can lead us toward obedience when we don't want to be obedient. We have a senior adult Cocker Spaniel. And the thing he hates more than anything is the backyard. He abhors our backyard. It is like the terror zone of 623 Ridge Hill. And you cannot teach him otherwise. He will stay in the house and he will hold it just as long as he possibly can. And then he'll stand there on the edge of the concrete, looking at the grass, sniffing in the air, back and forth. And he doesn't want to to move forward in that. And so many times I lovingly place my foot behind him and help him off of the porch. I don't kick the dog, so don't get anything wrong. I push him off, and he'll run out there, and he'll take care of his, his business. Now, I do that because it's important to me that he takes care of that outside and not inside, but also, you know, he's old, and I know that, you know, he's set in his ways, and I'm probably not going to be able to train him, and so, you know, I, I move him forward in, in love, and God sometimes does that to us. He lovingly pushes us toward obedience because he knows what's best for us. But James continues on. The second thing is that true faith is not just believing. Now, believing is part of the equation, but it's not all of the equation. Look at verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by your works. So he's presenting an imaginary conversation for the purpose of example. And you have these two people pitted against one another. One says, I have faith. The other one says, I have works. You show me you're true, and I'll show you mine is true. But only one can be correct. I will show you my, I will show you faith by my works. Again, we can't think that that's gaining salvation by something we can do, but it's living out our faith in life. It's practicing what we proclaim. It's doing what we say. And the other side, show me faith apart from works. And the conclusion is that that exists in theory only. Because faith without works is nothing. And just believing in God is not true faith. Listen to how he describes this. You believe that God is one. That's a foundational truth that went all the way back to the early beginnings of the Hebrews. When God introduced himself to to Abraham and to the patriarchs. You know, the Lord your God is one. 
It's one of the ABCs that every Jewish person would have known and that most people that follow Jesus would say, yes, God is one. And he says, you do well. So you get a thumbs up, you know, get a check mark by your name or a star on your chart. But then listen to the second sentence. Even the demons believe and they shudder. What's he saying? He's telling us that to believe the elementary truths of faith, that's, that's a good thing. That's important. Those are building blocks, but it's not enough. You can read scholar after scholar after scholar of people that know the Bible. They know the language behind it. They know their Hebrew. They know their Greek. They know their Aramaic. They know the cultural background. They know the historical context. But what they don't know is Jesus. They don't know what true faith is. People grow up in Sunday school classes from the very youngest all the way through adulthood for where you learn that Jesus loves me on a color page to your study and, you know, in depth with a commentary as an adult. People sit there. And they can answer the questions. They know the answers. And James says, you do well, that's good. But implied but not said, that's not enough. Because knowledge by itself, no matter how much knowledge you have, won't save you. It never would and it never will. Because he says, even the demons believe... And they take an action. The demons believe that God is real. And it says they shudder. They display fear because they know what their eternal destiny is. And so they believe and they do something what they believe. Now, it's not faith, but they take action. They don't take steps toward salvation, but they do move toward action. He says they're better off than you are because at least they're doing something with what they've heard. Many people, and I said this, you know, we, we know the facts. We could tell you all the answers, but there's no transformation. And there's the difference. There's action that leads to transformation, that the true faith is a life that is changed, a life that's transformed. I'm not the same anymore. I'm a new person, a new creation. And a saved person is a changed person. Amen? Can't you agree today that you may not be perfect, but my gosh, if you have Jesus, you were different than you were. And you're still a work in progress, but you are changed. You're transformed. Let me give you an example. You can, you can read about golf. I, I like to read about golf. You can watch golf on television. I really like to watch golf on television. Side note, Phil Mickelson is... Um, 50 years old, and he's in the lead of the PGA Championship. And if he wins this afternoon, he'll be the oldest person to ever win a major. So go Phil. Um, If you're not a Phil fan, that doesn't hurt my feelings. You can talk about golf. But what actually makes someone a golfer is playing golf. It's going to the driving range. It's booking a tee time. It's swinging golf clubs. I'm in this time of of grieving um, now because 
I can read golf. I can watch golf. I can talk about golf. But my right shoulder um, does not want me to play golf. And um, I tried a few weeks ago just to swing the golf club, and uh, my body reminded me that it wasn't ready. But what makes someone a golfer is getting out on the driving range, go into the golf course. If you never do those things, you're not a golfer. You might be a golf fan. You might be a golf aficionado. You could be a golf lover, but you're not a golfer. Come into church knowing the answers. Living a life that shows no difference from the world. You may like church. You may know about God, but you're not a Christian. See, here's the deal. Saying you have faith and that you believe in Jesus means nothing if it's all talk and no action. That kind of faith, James says, doesn't save you. It's dead. It's useless. It's worth nothing. But let's look before we're finished. According to what James says, what true faith looks like. We've looked at what it's not. Let's look at what it is. The third thing is that true faith produces loving obedience. In verse 20, he invites the reader to listen and to learn. Do you want to be shown you're foolish? You foolish person that faith apart from works is useless? Now, he doesn't give you a chance to respond. You're going to listen anyway. If you're reading the letter, you continue. Or I guess you could wad it up and throw it away or close your Bible. But he continues on. He presents the information and he gives a choice to hear and to respond. And in this example, he gives us two case studies. I always like to read those case studies. You know, we do them in school. This is, you know, this is, you know, this is Billy and Billy did this and blah, blah, blah. And you had to break down all the the different things about what Billy did wrong and what Billy did right. Or, you know, we'd get a case study, you know, different things. You know what I'm talking about. But here we have two people, Abraham and Rahab, two very different people. First of all, Abraham was a Hebrew. Rahab was a Gentile. Abraham is a man. Rahab is female. We can agree upon this. They both had their faults. You can't say one was perfect and the other was not. They both had their problems. But they had one thing in common. And what was it? Faith. Faith in the one true God that led them to take action. And so verse 21, we find out about this Abraham. Father Abraham. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, you may be thinking there in a moment, wait, 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 wait. I thought we were justified by faith, not by our works. And you see that word there, he was justified by works. Now, just a little bit of language information, just to help us out. The word justified can have two different meanings in Scripture depending on the context. One, like Paul in Romans, means to be declared righteous. By faith in Jesus, we receive salvation and God justifies us. We are made right with God. There's something that's broken that can't be fixed by us that only God can fix. And God brings those two things together and we are declared righteous. That we are not righteous. Jesus is righteous and we get his righteousness and we are presentable before God. But it may also mean to prove something 
right, to be correct. That's the basic meaning. And here James is saying that the actions of Abraham proved his faith to be correct. Think about Abraham just for a moment. He's old. His wife is old. They have no children. But God makes a promise. And in that promise, you hear, I will make you the father of many nations. You know, all of a sudden, childless family is going to have more children than there are stars in the sky and sand on the beach. He finally gets that promised son, Isaac. And then God tests Abraham. Tells him to take his son, his only son Isaac, up onto Mount Moriah and to offer him as a sacrifice. And Abraham did what God asked. He obeyed God. He was willing to offer up his own son Isaac as proof of his faith. Now we know God rescued him. He sent a ram there and we learned that the Lord would provide the sacrifice. And that Abraham was saved by God's grace through his faith. That's why we read that verse earlier. Abraham, and it says, it's repeated, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified by his belief. And it was a deep, intimate relationship because he is called a friend of God. He was more than a servant, more than a hireling. He was a friend of God. Now here's encouragement. That Friend of God title is not exclusive to Abraham. Jesus in John 15, verse 14 says this. You're my friends if you do what I command you. Wow. Check your friend list on Facebook. Um, You may have 100, 200, 500, but man, you could be God's friend. And he says, all you got to do is do what I command you. Walk in my ways. And so this friend of God, his faith made his good works possible. Because he had faith, he was able to do good works. Don't believe me, listen to Paul, Ephesians 2.10. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that we are a unique masterpiece that is given new life in Christ, and we are equipped to do good works through that relationship. By the power of Jesus at work in us, that resurrection power that we sang about earlier. And James tells us that that true faith is justified by works and not by faith alone. Someone said it this way, that we are saved by faith alone, but that faith is not alone. It will be Accompanied by works. And those actions are are love. Showing love to others that leads us toward obedience. Doing what God says. Now we have a second example and that is Rahab. Faithful Rahab. Look at verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Rahab's actions proved her faith. Remember the story back in Joshua there at Jericho. They send the spies in to to scope out the city of Jericho. And Rahab receives them, hides them, and then later helps them to escape. And then she follows the directions of 
the spies and her life spared. Remember that? They, they tell her if she'll lower the scarlet cord from her, her window that, her, that she and her family will be saved. And by that act of faith, listening and doing what they said, by placing that scarlet cord in her window, she was saved, her and her family, and they were welcomed into the people of God. She's so important that she's found in the genealogy of Jesus. Just a short form. She was the mother of Boaz. Remember the book of Ruth? Who was the grandfather of Jesse? Who was the father of David? And you can follow the line all the way down to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews said that by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She's mentioned in that hall of fame of faith. You see, both Abraham and Rahab put their faith and their trust in God. Their actions proved their faith was true. And then James finishes out this section, this chapter, and gives us a reminder, just so we don't forget, a reminder of the deadness of faith that doesn't have works. And he uses a comparison. Look at the verse. It's short. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead, so also faith, apart from works, is dead. I think the New Living Translation helps us to understand that. Basically, the body is dead without a spirit. So if you have no spirit, you have no life. You have a dead body. And death is when the spirit departs from the body. And he says, just like that, faith is dead without good works. So no spirit, no life just a body, no works, no real faith, just empty words. And what was true less than a hundred years after Jesus died is still true today. Many people call Jesus Lord, Lord, and don't do what he says. Would it be possible the answer is no before we even do this. Would it be possible for us to carry out the great commandment and the great commission without doing what Jesus says? No, because those two things are things that Jesus says. How can we expect the world to listen, to receive the best news in the world if we don't share God's love and express it through our actions? How could we expect anybody else to believe what we have to say and what we say we believe if they can't see it in our own lives? Two thousand and twenty and the first part of two thousand twenty one have led to a lot of downtime in people's lives. A lot of inactivity and complacency in many areas. And I just want to ask you this morning, are you tired of complacency? Are you tired of inactivity? Are you ready to see God use you mightily to see people saved? To actually have water in our baptistry, baptizing people, to live a life that's transformed in the power of spirit and to be, in the words of Paul, that fragrance of Christ to those who are being saved. 
Are you ready to look different, to act different, to be different for the growing of God's kingdom? Because true faith in Jesus will display itself through our loving obedience. Here's an incredible, encouraging truth. Real faith works. You can look at that two ways. Real faith works in the idea that it's displayed through our works, but real faith works. You may not think you could do any of those things. You may not think you could be a bold witness. You may not think you can love your neighbor, but real faith works when you put your trust in Jesus. God does his work in you, those good works. And do you want to be known by what you do, not what you say? Do you want to be an active person? Just give you three things as we close. These are reflection questions. It's application, but it starts with relationship. Do you know Jesus? If you do know Jesus, then that relationship is the time investment that we put into his word. We put in prayer. We build our relationship. It's our being in Christ. And that being will feed our doing. So it starts with our relationship. It's verified by obedience. How am I showing my love for my Lord and my love for others? Is it obedience? You know, what's God saying to you today that you need to do and you need to step into? And then it's expressed in our action. That's the evidence of our faith. You see, a personal relationship with Jesus will lead to obedience that leads us to action. Carrying out the great commandment and the great commission. And that's real faith that works. Convinced if we commit ourselves to developing a deeper relationship, deeper intimacy with with Jesus... That if we just put our yes up there and say, God, yes, and then step into it through obedience. And then after we say yes, we just take that step forward in action. We will see God do amazing things. But I'm also equally convinced that if we settle for business as usual, that we leave our relationship where it is now, that our obedience will be half-hearted at best that we will be stuck in complacency, will be marred with inactivity, and we will miss out on what God wants to do in us and through us. Real faith works. You pray with me. Oh, Jesus, it's challenging to read the pages of Scripture. It's tempting to think that because you've shared a few words that you've lived them out. It's convenient to sit and listen to teaching and think that's the end. But oh, Lord Jesus, this morning on this 23rd day of May 2021, a little before noon, God, we are asking you, I'm asking you, I want a real faith that works. That shows itself through my actions and through my deeds. That relies not on my own power, but on yours. God, forgive me for the times I've settled for so much less. 
I've settled for just talk and not action. And I've grieved you. I've grieved others that needs have gone unmet, that blessings have gone by the wayside. Oh, God, help us to see that you want us to be with you, that you want us to walk with you, and that you want us to trust you. Relationship, obedience, action. Help us to see that the quality of our faith is tested through our actions, through our perseverance, through our love and our obedience. It's not how eloquent we can be or how good we can answer the questions, but it's how we live our lives. May you form in us what's not. Make us what we need to be. Encourage us and push us along the way that we could be the people you've called to be in this place for your glory. And we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have opportunity to to respond to the word communicated through James to us. The challenge is to walk in an active faith that is alive. That is a blessing to others. And the question is, will we step into it or will we just keep going on the way that we are? Today you may need to start that relationship with Jesus. You may need to renew it, to refresh it. You can do that at the altar where you're sitting. Today you may need to, to ask God for forgiveness, for, for walking in, in disobedience, for not doing those things that he's told you to do. Or maybe you just need to call on him and ask him for the courage and the power to take action, to step forward and do what he's called you to do. There also may be a burden that you have on your heart that you need someone to to pray for you or pray with you. Um, I'll be at the front and waiting. And If you need to pray or maybe just grab somebody next to you and say, hey, will you pray with me? But I invite you to stand together. We're going to sing. And trust that the Lord will speak and we will respond. So let's sing together. of that song be pressed deep into our, our minds and our souls and 
May they become more than just something that we sing, but a profession of our hearts that moves us to really just say, Jesus, you have all of me. It's the best decision that you can make. Just remind you that we're going to have lunch together in a few minutes. So when we when we dismiss, we'll need to set up some tables, and um, the chicken should be here in just a few minutes, and we can enjoy a meal. Um, thank you for being here this morning. Um, just remember, you're welcome to stay for lunch. We hope you can stay for lunch. Um, if too many of you depart, there will have to be a chicken eating contest, and I really don't want to do that. So there's plenty of chicken, so please stay and have lunch. We're going to sing a song, and when we begin to sing, you're dismissed. So Lord bless you. Oh, hero.